This morning, God wants to speak to you. For those of us that believe that this is God's word, when we teach this, this is God speaking to his people. This is God speaking into your life. And I mean you. Dave, Sheila, Erica, Tim, Richard, Chris. This is God speaking into your life. And as we pray this morning, I want you to pray. I don't want you just to listen to my prayer for this moment. I want it to be your prayer. Let's pray. Father, as your people, there are so many things in this life that we go through. Some of them hard, some of them long, some of them kind of boring. So many different ups and downs. And yet, God, we come this morning and we ask you, no matter where we are, to speak to us through your word. Open our hearts, God, to receive. Make us expectant through your spirit that we will hear today and be changed because you have spoken. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So now and then, I will misplace my keys. And unfortunately, it seems that the times that I misplace them are never the times that, like, I'm sitting there and I think, maybe I'll go grab a burger. Oh, I can't find my keys. They're always the times when, like, all of my kids are already in the van and my daughter needs to be to school in 10 minutes, and then... I can't find my keys. And I get very frustrated. And initially, I'll just kind of like, you know, and make grunting noises and things. And, but eventually, I do what probably most of you would do. I begin to go, all right, when did I last have my keys? And I start trying to retrace that path. That's my plan. I'm going to find my keys by going, okay, well, like, okay, I had them last night, so I walked. Let's see. They're, oh, let me check on the counter. Okay, they're not there. I may have said No. Okay, then I walked in here, I think, oh, they're not there. Wait, the pants I was wearing. Let's go check and see if I left them in the pocket. And, but I'm walking through, that's my plan. I'm walking through what I know of where I might have put them. And that works often, except for the times when either somebody else has moved them, so they're not in my plan. They're not where I went, I could look all I want there, and they're not there because somebody had moved them and maybe even put them where they were supposed to be, but why would I ever look there? <laughs> or when something happens, like they've, they've just fallen out of your pocket, and like you didn't realize it ever was even there, so you don't think to even look in certain places. You only think to look where you walked in intentionally. And so sometimes the hiddenness, you're not even sure how to find them because you're not fully responsible for the fact that they are hidden from you. Sometimes I feel like God is hidden. And it's not that I've misplaced him. 
Because I keep looking, and, and I've traced this path, and I've got this plan to find him, but he's not showing up. And I'm thinking that either somebody else has hidden him, or he has hidden him, and I need a different path. I've got to find a different way to find him when he's hidden. That's what these disciples go through. And what we're going to see this week and next week is the way that God helps them find himself. God's plan. Not my plan to walk through the house and find the places where it is, but God directing me back to himself. So wherever you are, whether it is something really hard or maybe even an area where you just feel like, I just feel dry. I mean, I'm just not, I'm not sure where he is, and it's not really anything terrible's happening. I'm just, I'm really dry. Wherever you are, the next two weeks, we're going to see in Scripture the way God leads people to himself when he is hidden. Would you open your Bible to Luke chapter 24? This was going to be a single lesson, except as I was going through it, and I found out that the Mavericks were playing at 2.30. I couldn't finish by then. It's a really long message, so I had to break it to two. Um, So this is part one. Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. Luke's the only one who records this account. Um, It is a really neat story. Verse 13, that very day, this is Sunday, this is the resurrection, that's what day they're on, that very day, two of them who were going to a village named Emmaus, and the two of them right there has a reference back to verse 9 in here, where the, the 11 disciples plus others were around. And they all got the report of the women. So these are two of those guys that were, they're not part of the original 11 or 12, but they were there when the women came and said, this is what happened. And now they are making their way. It says to a village village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Um, We don't know exactly where this is. Um, All we know is they are moving away from Jerusalem where Jesus is. And they're going back, most likely, to home. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, and this is significant, notice the kind of what looks like repetition almost. So they're walking, they're heading back to Emmaus where they live, and they're having a discussion. But then he describes it here as talking and discussing. It's two different Greek words. The first one means exactly what it looks like. They're just kind of having a conversation. They're going back and forth with information. It's the second one that's significant. It's not just repetition. That second word carries with it the idea of a heated discussion, even a debate. So these guys are not just discussing. They are walking home. They are going back to their place where they live And on the way, they're going, ah, so what about this and this? But then somewhere along the lanes, it seems like they're also disagreeing. There's something heated going on between these guys. Um, While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now, 
if you just stop right there, the answer to their problems has arrived. Okay? They're walking back home. They're heading out. They got some news from these women, but they're still going home, which we'll talk about in a little while because that's a little odd. They get some news, but it doesn't really phase them. They still head back home. But on their way home, they're fighting about these things. You know, what's going on? What happened? What about this? Why didn't this tape? Whatever it is, they're, they're arguing. But the person who can solve their argument just showed up. Because their arguing is about Jesus. Well, here he comes. And he could walk right into the middle of them. And what the scene looks like is this road would have had people just traveling on it, especially right now. Right? Because this is Passover. So every Jew that could, they made their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. Well, it's over now. They're on their way back. So there's probably a number of people going all out from Jerusalem in different directions going back home. Well, as these two guys are walking along debating, another guy walks up to them. And it's Jesus. And he walks up and he goes, now, stop. Hey, you're wrong and you're wrong. Here's what actually happened. It's solved. It's done. It's, it's over. The answer is there. It's exactly what every one of us want, right? When you're dry, when you feel like God's not working, when God is hidden, when things are hard and you don't know how to, what you want is for Jesus to walk right up and go, here's the answer. Isn't that what you all want? Except we get the next verse. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, don't mistake this. It's not because, like, the debate is so heated that they're just not paying attention and they don't know who it is. It's not that Jesus looks so dramatically different that they just don't recognize him. Okay, this is very specific. They are kept from this is a passive verb. Somebody is acting on them to restrain them from recognizing who this is. Here comes the answer right into the midst of them. And they can't see it because God isn't letting them. God is hiding Jesus from the people who need Jesus at this moment. What in the world is going on? Not about that, that too. What an odd thing. Why would God do that? Why would God hide himself? Why would all of us at some point be in that place where the God who loves us is also hiding from us? We are going to get an answer to this partly, um, but I want to address something before we move on, because if you can't embrace this part, the rest of the message is going to fall flat at times. Now, here's the first thing. There is a truth here that you need to embrace. God's hiddenness does not mean God's absence. God's hiddenness does not mean his absence. And there is no clearer picture of that than right here. He is literally standing in their midst 
but they can't see him, but he's there. It is not unlike camouflage. I mean, think about looking in, you know, whether it's a picture or a forest or whatever it is, and there is something right there, even if you can't see it. God's hiddenness does not mean his absence. It does not mean he is not working. And you see this in Scripture. I'm going to show you one example. Turn to Genesis chapter 40. We're going to read one, and I'm going to draw out just a couple of others. But Genesis chapter 40, and go to verse 20. This is the story of Joseph. And if you know the end of the story, God works really powerfully in the life of Joseph. Does some incredible things for this guy. Well, this is partway through the story. Verse 40, uh, sorry, chapter 40, verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. It's the next verse that I want you to see. After two whole years... Talk about God being hidden. Joseph, God uses Joseph to do something. And then for two years, he'll get thrown into a prison. But God wasn't done. God didn't stop. God wasn't absent from what was going to happen in Joseph's life. God was going to keep going. And you can go through the rest of the story, even though two years he had, you can go through the rest of the story and you can see what God does in the life of Joseph. Because God's hiddenness does not mean God's absence. Abraham. Abraham would go two decades. Think about this. God tells Abraham, I want you to travel 500 miles to a place you've never been to because I'm going to make you the father of a new nation. You got to leave everything behind and just make this journey. He does that. And two decades after Abraham fulfills that vow to God, God has talked to him twice and it still hasn't been fulfilled and he's old and he doesn't think it can even happen anymore. But it does. And Abraham becomes the father of the nation. We're going to study a story toward the end of this year, the book of Esther. God is not mentioned in Esther at all. And yet he is all over the book of Esther because God's hiddenness does not mean his absence. And you have got to embrace that or you'll never get through these times. You won't even want to take the next step that we're going to talk about today in the next week because we are all, every single person in this room is going to experience the hiddenness of God. But how do you get through it? Number one, by believing that his hiddenness doesn't mean he's absent. But why in the world would he go through this? Why would he do this? Let's keep reading the story. Back into Luke. Why do it this way? Verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? 
Um, interesting question for a guy who already knows all of the answers to this. And he's going to ask a similar one in a moment. Um, there's such an irony here. Because there isn't anybody on earth at this point who fully grasps what's going on, except for the person asking them this question. The women don't fully get it. The disciples don't fully get it. Different people have different understandings, and they're starting to get things. But at this point, on this Sunday, he's the only one that actually knows what's really going on, and he's asking them. What is this conversation? By the way, conversation also carries that same thing with it. It has a connotation of something heated. Um, What are you guys arguing about? What's, What's got you riled up? And they stood still. Okay, remember, um, physically, they are walking away from God. They're moving away from Jerusalem, away from Christ, back toward their home. His question as they're walking makes them stop. And not just stop, but looking sad, gloomy. Um, Something else is going on here. If you're just reading the first part, it almost sounds like a theological debate. It almost sounds like two guys are like, oh, no, and they're they're kind of fighting with each other, but there's something else going on. There's something deeper happening here. It's not just two guys arguing theology because when he asks this question, they stop, they look at him, and they are sad. They are gloomy. Something seriously is wrong with these two guys. And then one of them named Cleopas, and we don't know anything else about him. Um, He's not mentioned anywhere else. And we don't know the name of the guy he's walking with. Answered him, are you the only visitor? Remember, it's Passover. Lots of people had come in. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And you can imagine Cleopas going, you know, how could you not? I mean, this guy like came in on a donkey to Hosanna. He turned over tables in the temple. Um, He fought with the religious leaders and then they crucified him. How could you not know any of this stuff? That's where he's going. It's like, are, have you been hiding in the sand with somewhere? I mean, how would you miss this? And he said to them, and again, here's this ironic, what things? Tell me about me. Tell me what you understand. Tell me what you think is going on. And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Verse 21 is so important. Yes, and besides all this, now it's the third day since these things have happened. Um, They've actually been dealing with this for a couple days. Now, this isn't like that moment when you first find out something bad. This is a few days in. This is when you've had a little bit of time to process, a little bit of time to grieve. It's kind of settling. Um, And that's where I think you get the looking sad, because it's, it's, it's hitting them deeper than that instance. Um, I, I remember when they told my wife and I that our 10-month-old daughter had cancer. I vividly remember sitting in that room as they're telling us, but it, it hardly registered. I mean, I mean it just it didn't. I, I, I couldn't even kind of process that. It was a couple hours later, I'm driving home, and I called Father Clint. He was the only priest I knew at the time. I called Father Clint, got his voicemail, and on his voicemail I said, 
Clint, our daughter has been, and that was it. I lost it. I had to pull over on the side of the road because I was just weeping. I couldn't even get out what I wanted to say, but it took a little bit of time to like let something sink in. These guys have had the time. There, it's sinking in what has happened, and they don't know what to do with it. By the way, for anyone who doesn't know, my daughter's in remission now. Um, I've told a few stories about my daughter and cancer, and I have people afterwards come up and go, is she okay? Yes, she's eight years old, and she's doing wonderfully, and she's in remission. Um, verse 22, moreover, some of our women of our company amazed us. Um, they were at the tomb early in the morning. So, like, not only do they know that he died, but, like, they had this experience where some of the women who've been traveling with them, they actually came back and said, the body's gone. And angels told us he's been risen. Now, what does it say about these men? That they would hear that story and still go home. How much hope do they have? None. They have completely given up. I mean, think about it. It was bad enough that he would die. But then if there is some hope that like something has happened, if there's some, I mean, even sliver of hope, like something has happened, the body is gone, angels showed up. I mean, even if they're thinking to themselves, these women are crazy, wouldn't you want to at least check? No, they just keep going home. They don't even stop to figure it out because they have completely given up. That's where they are. Now, how do we get out of this? How does it make a difference? How does it, how do we find a path? Why is Jesus doing this? Um, I want to read you a quote. I want to give you a couple things to consider. This is a quotation from Philip Yancey. Um, Philip Yancey's written quite a bit on the idea of pain with God, um, when God is gone, when God is hidden, um, that kind of thing. And he says this, we do know that in his relationships, his is capital because it's God, in his relationships with people, God places a premium on faith, which can only be exercised in circumstances that allow for doubt, circumstances such as God's hiddenness. At the core of what I'm about to say is faith. At the core of everything we are studying in Easter is faith. If you can believe that in his hiddenness he can still be there, then the next steps of faith are what I'm about to talk about. Why is God doing this? What's his point? What's his purpose? How does it lead us to him? Which, by the way, it's not until next week that they're actually going to see him. So you have to come back and see that part. <laughs> Let me give you a couple of thoughts. Number one, I think what's happening in this scene is God is getting them, Christ is getting them to come to grips with what they are going through. The reason he is asking them questions that he already knows the answers to 
is because they need to know it. They need to admit it. They need to confess it. They need to get down to what the actual issue is. And I want you to imagine for a moment, we're going to conjecture here for a second. They're walking along this road arguing. Think about the things they might be arguing about. Right? Shame. We, they put all their faith into Jesus. They thought he was the one. They had hope. They had confidence that this was the guy that would save Israel. They look like idiots now. Hey, they could be arguing about the shame they're feeling. They could be arguing about the fact that they bought into what all these others were saying. They could be arguing about the fact that they left a whole bunch of stuff behind. They made a sacrifice for Jesus, and Jesus didn't come through for them. There's all kinds of issues that they could be fighting about, that they could be struggling with. And be honest, how often do you get angry about something that's not actually the issue? How often do you get depressed? Do you attack another person and it's not actually the issue? How often are you blaming somebody else for what really comes back to you, but you won't admit it? I honestly believe that what he is doing by asking these questions and hiding himself is he is trying to get them to unearth some of this. He's trying to get them to recognize the truth so that he can deal with it. And he does this. Cain and Abel. Cain, what happened to your brother? It's not because he doesn't know. In fact, he's going to answer it for him after that because Cain will not answer that question and God's going to answer because he already knows the answer. God does this. David. God brings Nathan to David to get David to recognize what David has done so that God can deal with it. Jesus comes to Peter in John 21. Do you love me more than these? Because he has to get Peter to confront what Peter did. God does this, even when he already knows all the answers. Right? And we know from a very practical, even secular viewpoint, how significant this kind of thing is. Let me read something to you. And some of you will recognize exactly what I'm reading. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of our character. Step four, five, and six of AA, as well as others. But do you hear what it is? Acknowledging what I have done. Getting down to that part. At the heart of all counseling, whether you have ever done it or not, counseling is basically about intense talking and listening. That's what they're doing right now. It is a facilitative process whereby individuals come to terms with their own thoughts and emotions. It helps people to resolve denial, guilt, and shame. It enables people to become unstuck, to make important changes in their lives, and to realize what they're called to. I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing right now. I think it's what he was trying to do with Cain, what he was doing with David, what he's doing with Peter. Trying to get them to recognize the heart of the issue. And I'll tell you what it is for them. Jesus let them down. They had put all their hope in him. And he's dead. 
They gave up whatever it was to sacrifice to be here. They gave up any kind of reputation by saying, we're following this Galilean peasant. Because he was the one. They really firmly believed that. And he's dead. And their leaders were responsible for it. That's part of it. I think it's coming to grips with the truth of how we really feel about certain things, about what it is that is our responsibility and others' responsibilities and God's responsibility and sorting some of that stuff out. God wants you to come clean. God wants you to be dead honest with him and yourself about what it is you're really struggling with. Now, what does that accomplish? A couple of things. Number one, it allows you and God to deal with the actual issue. Stop putting it off. Stop thinking. It's, it's, it's that classic thing when you hear a really good sermon and you think, I really wish my spouse was here to hear that. Because that would have helped my spouse. And it's turned away from us. We're so good at that. Jesus isn't letting them do that. Next week when he talks to them, he is going to address exactly what they finally come to, what they admit. Because it's on them, not on him. And we have to come to that point. So that's number one, just to deal with our issues. Um, we are... Um, uh, we, we moved into the house less than a year ago, and the, the stove, um, on, on one of the burners makes this high hissing sound, and it doesn't happen all the time, but it would happen at least half the time we're using this thing, and it's been going on for like six to eight months, this kind of like type sound. Well, I have like, I've pulled the top thing, the, the grate that you set the pan, I've pulled that off, and I've kind of wiggled it around. There's a little circular plate that makes the flame come up around. I pulled that thing off. I pulled the thing underneath that off. I've moved stuff around, but I, I can't fix this thing. Well, this week, we finally had a GE maintenance guy come out. The reason I can't fix it is I wasn't going deep enough. I could move all the stuff on the surface around all I wanted to. I could blame it on this, and I could move another one over here. But it actually went further down, and they had to order a part that I didn't even see because I wasn't trying to go that far. If all you do is move your junk around and you blame other people for it and you don't ever get to the heart of it, six to eight months we've been listening to coming out of our stovetop because we're dealing with the wrong issues. It doesn't fix anything until you get to the issue. Number two, I believe that part of what he is doing here is he is not only having them deal with their issues, but he's placing them in a position to be more aware that he is about to deal with them. Um, he is bringing up all of these things. He's having them rehearse them so that they are fresh on their minds when he begins to speak to them. Now, you've all experienced this. When you go to look for a new home, 
do you start to notice how many homes are actually for sale? Do you start looking around and suddenly you're seeing all of these signs in people's home, in, in the front yards? When you start looking for a new car and the particular kind of car that you want, how often do you suddenly start noticing a bunch of those cars on the road? They didn't just show up. They've been there the whole time. Um, I had this happen to me back at our old house. When we moved to Texas, um, we discovered that your summers are awful. <laughs> why anyone would live here and why we would still be here 15 years later, I have no idea. But one of the things that I wondered is what in the world can grow in this? Because we bought our first house in Texas. And I'm thinking over the summer, like, how do you get color? Because this is going to, like, die. It's so hot here. And so I went to Home Depot. And the guy showed me crepe myrtles. Like, these are beautiful. I mean, white and purple and pink. And I mean, they're gorgeous. Well, I came home that day, and I'm walking through our neighborhood. And I went, oh, there's a crepe myrtle right there. I noticed another one in somebody's yard. Like, gosh, there's a couple of them around here. And then I looked down the boulevard. There's like 25 of them. <laughs> there's, I, I drive by them every day. Thinking, how did I miss all of these? Then I walked back into our front yard. We've got four crepe myrtles in our front yard. <laughs> but once it comes to mind, you start seeing it. You start recognizing. You were open to hear it. I think he wanted them to rehearse it, not only to find their issues, but that it would be fresh on their minds. Because guess what he's going to do? We're going to talk about it next week. He's going to lead them through a Bible study. He's going to take all the information that they just said, and he's going to put it in the context of the Old Testament. And he's going to show them. But he wanted it to be fresh in their minds so that when he showed them, it all made sense to them. And so they rehearse it. And all of a sudden, they're going to see things that they never saw before. They're going to describe it like this. There was a burning in our hearts. So number one, to get to our issues. Number two, so that, and actually, um, some people call it a frequency illusion. Uh, the technical term for this, when you start to notice things that were actually there, but once it was brought to your attention, you begin to notice it in ways that you didn't notice it before. Um, I believe that's part of what he is doing. Um, and actually, I'm going to stop there because I have next week. Um, so I'm going to do this instead. I want to give you a very, very specific application to this. God wants you to be prepared I know, and I'm going to give one example and then expand it out. I know how most of us come to church because I am married and I have three kids and there's so much going on. I know how most of us come to church. We come in and we are lucky to get in the seat by the time the pastor starts the service late, as he usually does. And it takes us who knows how long to get in any kind of mindset to actually be receiving from what's going on. Here's the first thing I want to say to you. I want to, I want to challenge you, and we're going to start doing this next week. We are going to have a period of silence in the sanctuary before the service starts. And here are the two things I want to encourage you to do. They are prep things. They are getting you ready to hear from God. Right? Number one, what's going on in your life? 
Spend a moment, spend part of your week, uh, talk to a friend, talk to God, talk to a spouse. It really doesn't, what matters is that you deal what's going on in your life. Find some of those issues. Be dead honest with yourself. Number two, read the scripture beforehand. Come in here and sit before the Lord. Let it be fresh. Let it, let it be there as the word is spoken. Because right? this is what happened to me last week. Right? Heather preached, for those of you that weren't here. And Heather's message, it had a huge impact in my life. It is the kind of impact that God wants to have all the time in our lives. But part of the reason it had the impact is because what she preached on, I was just thinking about it. I was just dealing with it. I was just struggling with it. And when she spoke it, it was clear. God was speaking to me through his word. And I spent the rest of Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday dwelling on what she said, and it is still fresh in my mind right now. In fact, I talked about it on Saturday morning at the men's study. Get prepared to hear from God. And just in two things, what are the issues going on in your life? Be honest with them with him. Even if it hurts, even if you have to recognize your your fault in it. And number two, read the passage beforehand and come and say, all right, God, I'm ready for you to speak. And see what God might do when we are more prepared to hear. Because honestly, I believe that's what he's doing. He's getting them ready. He wasn't high. I heard multiple messages on this passage this week, and I heard one pastor say this. Jesus was playing around with these guys. He was joking with them. He was walking up going, hey, guys, tell me what's going on, even though I'm right here and I really know. And another guy said Jesus was punishing them. Because they're walking away from Jerusalem without faith, he's hiding himself in punishment of these guys. No! Absolutely never! That is not our God. He doesn't play with our emotions. He doesn't make jokes at our expense. And he doesn't punish us because we have honest doubts about things. He is not hiding himself for those reasons. I believe he's doing it because he wants them to deal with something. He's preparing them because he's about to speak. And he wants to speak to you every day, at least every Sunday. There isn't a day you don't come here that God doesn't want to speak to you. But he wants you to be prepared. Next week, we'll talk about two other things. Um, But I'm going to end... This is not meant to place too much of a burden on anybody here. Um, This is not meant to say to you that it's all on you. It's also not meant to say that if if you come and you do all of these things, and you have one Sunday where God really speaks to you, but then the next Sunday it's not as much that you have failed. Don't take it in that way, please. I don't mean it that way. This is a pathway. This is a way of opening ourselves to what God wants to do. And by the end of this account, they are going to see Jesus. He will no longer be hidden.
That's what I think he wants for us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we do go through the things in life, please guide us. Please use your word to lead and to give us wisdom and to encourage us and to inspire us and to remind us that you love us. Because we all have dry times, we all have hard times. Lord, help, help us to come back to you. Help us to see you. That you might work in our lives the way that you work in the lives of all of your people. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.